So I want to explore a story that might be a little bit familiar since we've been exploring it for this last six weeks. Um, uh, it's in Luke chapter 15, um, which we're calling the, well, I'm calling the, the prodigal parable. Um, and I'm not going to go through the story because if you've been here for one of those last six weeks, you'll know it, or if not, you can, you can read it in Luke chapter 15. But what I find fascinating about the Bible and what I love about the Bible is that there's all these different layers to it. So you can read a story and go, oh, yeah, that's what God's saying. And then you read the same story and you realise God's saying something else and then you realise that there's something else and there's something else and there's something else and there's something else, which I think is fantastic because I'm a geek like that. But um, in terms of these stories, Jesus is trying to explain what God's like through stories that they would understand. And because God is invisible then he uses stories and allegories and metaphors and similes and all those posh English words that I don't really know what they mean, but they sound good, don't they? Um, to try and get across, this is what God's like. So you can't really take it completely literally because he's going, well, he, he often talks, starts with, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl. The kingdom of heaven is like this, like that. Because he's trying to get across this idea of what, what, is, what is God like? And Jesus is pointing, telling this story is to shatter some illusions about who is in and who is out. You realise much of religion is about who's in and who's out. So if you, and and, all, and the, the way you're in and out is that you obey the rules. So if you obey the rules, you are in. If you disobey the rules, you're out. In fact, lots of things work like that. So, so families work like that. It, there are often unspoken rules and unwritten rules, but in, in many families there are certain things that if you do these things, you're considered in, and if you don't do these things, you're considered out. You never get told you're out, you just feel like you're out and you never get told you're in, you just know that you're in. So this whole life really is, is kind of often about, am I in, am I out, am I in this crowd, am I in that crowd, do I belong here, do I belong there? And we like rules because we know then that we're in or out. So if there's a set of rules to follow and you follow those rules, then you know you're in, which is really nice because you know you're in. The problem is Jesus comes along and pretty much blows away all the rules, which to some people is a bit scary because then they don't know whether they're in or out or not. But it's really easy because Jesus just says, yeah, but you're all in. There is no out as far as he's concerned. Which is why all sorts of churches and institutions and clubs have all these rules because then it's nice and easy. It's why it's not always easy living the Jesus way because Jesus seems to blow all the rules apart and then you go, well, what do I do then? But Jesus is full of all these principles. Um, so, this story is about two sons who appear very different. And often when we talk about this story, we talk about the, the differences. One stays at home, one leaves. Um, one comes back all repentant, the other is not very repentant at all. But this morning I want to tell you about a similarity between them. Because there is something that is entirely the same between them both. Uh, they all actually suffer from the same problem. And we'll see what that problem is in a minute. And along the way we're going to talk about warehouses, we're going to talk about slaves, and we're going to talk about swords. Because when you talk about warehouses, slaves, and swords, you understand what this story can be about. But we'll get into those things in a minute. First of all, I want to talk about houses. This story is about two sons, one dad, and a house. And we've said before that dad, there's something in common about the way dad treats both sons. So one son runs off, takes everything that's dad's, spends it entirely on himself, comes back, and dad comes out of the house to meet you. The other son uh, stays at home, works hard for dad, then complains to dad, and then when there's a big party going on, because the youngest one comes back, dad has to go out to him. So how they 
however you view this story, dad always goes out. I think we've got that. That's the next one. There we go. The truth is dad always comes out of the house to you, whatever the house is. Well, the house is where God lives. So God is always moving towards you. That's the truth of it. Whether you think you're doing really well or whether you think you're doing really badly, God is always moving out towards you. We talk about, I came to Jesus. No, you didn't. Jesus came to you. You We talk about, well, I found Jesus. No, you didn't. Jesus found you. Because Jesus is always looking out for you. He found you. You just realized that he was there. God turned up and you just realized that it was God. That's what we call being a Christian or being saved or all the other language we use around. The truth is God chased you down and you eventually realized he was there and thought, that sounds like a good idea. That's how it happened. But what's fascinating about these sons is there's two different sons with two different thought processes and different actions and reactions, but dad treats them exactly the same, which is really annoying, isn't it? Just be honest. It's annoying, isn't it? They both act completely differently, and Dad treats them exactly the same. That doesn't work, does it? In our, in our eyes, in our world, if you do good things, you get treated well, and if you do bad things, you get treated bad. But God's world is completely different. God just goes, no, but I love you. In fact, I, as, we were, as we were singing, I got, this, uh, I got this little word. If God wanted to say something today, and he's speaking all the time, of course, but, but maybe he'd say this. He might say, as we were singing, he might have said this. Thank you for all the prayers and the adoration. Thank you for the worship. I receive it. Just be aware that I see everything. I see all the sacrifice, all the struggle, all the difficulty, all the challenge. Even today, your presence here and the challenges that are in your mind, the challenges that are at home, the challenges you've brought with you, I see them. And I'm so grateful for your worship. Too often you focus on the negative and all that goes wrong. But I see the good. My son Jesus, whose death you remembered this morning, his blood covers the wrong. So I see the good, the wonderful, and the fabulous. How I long for you to see me, how I, see, how I long for you to see yourself as I see you. I see you as beloved. I see you as pure. I see you as set apart. I see you as holy. I see you as honored. I see you as adored. I see you as accepted. And I see you as innocent. How I long for you to see yourself as I see you. And you see, the two sons, that's what dad thought of the two sons, and it's what he thinks of you. But neither of the two sons understood that. As I'll show you in a minute. You see, dad will always come out of the house to you. Now, what if we started to understand that when we get what we call small things wrong, and when we get called big things wrong, which God doesn't really differentiate between the two, by the way, when we constantly fall over with that same issue, Dad always comes out to us. When we're crawling back to him because we feel so terrible, he's actually running to you and doesn't even let you finish your little, I'm really, 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 really sorry this time, God, because he says, no, come, let's have a pie. If we understood that God was like that, it would transform our thinking completely. And I know we're on a journey of, of doing that. But listen, this, this parable, it's very easy for those who have been in church a little while to think that the house where the older son remains represents the church. And it's very easy to think that the younger son runs away from the church. But I think you do a disservice to people when you equate the house in this parable with the church. Because there are many people who are outside the church who have a great relationship with dad. And there are many people in the church who don't have a clue who dad is. So it can't be like that. 
We, we mustn't equate church attendance with relationship with the Father. It's much more complicated than that. And I understand many, many people, and it's sad, many people end up not part of a church family like this because they got hurt. They got hurt badly. And they've not managed to move past that hurt, which is a, a terribly sad thing. But it doesn't mean to say they're not in relationship with the Father. It doesn't mean to say they don't love the Father. It's just they've not managed to get past the ways that people treat them really badly. And if you're still, still here, then that, that's a credit to you because you will, you will have been hurt because the, you're surrounded by people who are imperfect and you were led by leaders who are imperfect. Therefore, you will have... I know, I, I get it wrong. Paul gets it wrong. We get it wrong at times. So it's a credit to you that you're still here. And it's a credit to Jesus' incredible grace that I'm still here. See, I believe passionately we need a church family because we were designed to live in community. We need a place to be encouraged and cared for and a place to use our gifts, a case to receive and a place to sow out. Plus, the Bible tells us not to give up meeting together. And there's this whole theme of one another that runs through the Bible. But don't relate the house in this parable to the local church. In John 14, Jesus says this, My father's house has plenty of room. My father's house has plenty of room. What does it mean by that? Well, well, I think in this context, he's talking about heaven because he says, I'm going to go there to prepare a place for you. But sometimes we think really narrowly about this place called heaven and we assume there's a very strict entry policy and we worry that we or our loved ones won't be there wherever that is. But think about this. Dad wants to be with his kids. You just sang, you didn't want heaven without us. We just sang it this morning. And heaven is quite simply a place where dad is. And more importantly, it's a place where everything that dad is exists in its purest form. So dad is peace. So heaven is a place where peace exists in its purest form. Dad is healing. So heaven is a place where healing exists in its purest form. And dad wants to be with his kids. So if dad wants to be with his kids, why would he make it very difficult and put up lots of barriers for him to get in? It doesn't make any sense to me that dad would make it difficult to get in. Now, I understand some people will be very clear they don't want to be with Dad, in which case Dad will love them so much he won't force them to be with someone they don't want to be with. If Dad goes, I don't want to be with you, you go, I don't want to be with you, Dad. Okay, you don't want to be with me. That's fine. That's fine. But, but listen, when, when, I'm, when I'm praying for and talking to people who perhaps don't know Jesus like I know Jesus, I'm not thinking about populating heaven because for starters, there's plenty of room. I'm thinking about their life right now, this moment. They don't need to worry about the place, whatever we might call hell in the afterlife, because most people are experiencing it right now. That's why we need to talk to people for now, for today. Because they have, like you, incredible emotional and mental and physical needs and relationship and financial needs, and only Jesus can actually meet them where they're meant to be at. You know that, because that's why you're here. I want people to know him now because he can heal the pain. He brings peace, grace, mercy, forgiveness, kindness, love, and so much more. And they need it right now. So I'm not, I'm not too bothered because heaven's got plenty of room. And dad wants to be with his kids. What I'm bothered about is people living like they're in hell now because they don't know him. That, to me, is even greater. They could know him. They could know him. You see, one of the things... That was just a little aside. But one of the things that's fascinating about this story Jesus tells is that both sons know Father's house 
and father's hair. But they both have an issue. Both sons know the house, so, so they know the environment that God creates. They both know the father of the house, they know his character, and yet they both end up outside that place. So it's possible to know the environment of the house. It's possible to know the father of the house, and yet it's possible to end up outside the house. In other words, not, not kind of with father, whatever that means and whatever it is. And I think that's because both sons are suffering from the same issue. Both sons knew dad, but they didn't know who they were. You see, they knew dad, but they didn't know they were a son to dad. The issue is not really whether you're in the house. It's not even whether you know dad. It's not even whether you know dad's heart, because you can know all those things, but if you don't have a clue who you are in it, it's a little bit of a waste of time. Because... You're just kind of wandering around. You're enjoying dad, but actually the whole point of it is you're meant to know who you are in light of those truths. You see, if you knew the father's heart and you had access to father's house and you know this father is an incredibly good father, why would you end up outside? Perhaps it might have something to do with your own heart. Perhaps it might have something to do with what's inside you. And when I talk about who you are, I don't... I don't mean, well, I'm Adam and I'm 41 years old. and I'm the, No, no, I mean, who, who, are, who are you in God? What does God say you are? And do you agree with him or do you think he's wrong? See, I, I've talked to many people over the years who have told me that God's wrong about them. When I tell them they're loved, precious, special, forgiven, pure, holy, blameless, they tell me that's okay for everyone else, but it doesn't apply to them. It's not possible for God to think like that about them. They tell me I'm talking nonsense. Many, many people have told me that I'm wrong. And I go, well, I'm not wrong, because God already said it. But you can think I'm wrong if you want, but I'm not wrong. Actually, you're wrong. I say it a bit kinder than that normally when I'm in the middle of it. <laughs> but that's the, that's the truth. When, when I read all those things out that God says, and, and you in your mind, because you're a human being, will go, oh, yeah, oh, no. Oh, yeah, oh, no. Innocent, but I don't think so. Because that's what you do. Who are you in God? What do you actually think God believes about you? It's a fascinating exercise to write down what you think God believes about you. Not, not what I would say about you, but what you say about you. I know what I would say about you, but what would you say about you? Would you write those lists? Or would you write a different list? What words would be on your list? It's fascinating because most of us would have a mixed list. We'd have like, well, I know I'm a little bit loved, and I know I'm a little bit precious, but... I feel much more guilty than innocent, and I feel much more rejected than accepted, and I feel much, much more shame than I feel honour, because that's kind of how it works. That's the same for all of us. But until you're able to do that, you're not actually able to grow and realise who you are. You have to start somewhere. And most people, of course, they never actually answer that question honestly. They just go, well, God says this. Yeah, but I'm not bothered about what God says. I want to know what you say. What does Jesus say in Matthew 15? He says, Who d what do people say I am? Oh, well, they say, yeah, but what about you? What do you say? Yeah. It's the first step, actually, in terms of discipleship, understanding what do you think God thinks about you. Now, there are three, we'll get back to that in a minute. There are three fascinating lines in this parable that tell us about the issue facing the older son, and it's an issue lots of us face. It's an issue of identity. So in, chapter, in verse 15, it says this, the younger one said to his dad, Dad, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So, what does he say? The younger son asks, what does dad do? Does it say, dad gave the younger one his inheritance? No. He says, dad divided his property 
between them. So when did the elder son get his inheritance? Same time the younger son got his inheritance. So exactly the same moment the younger son got his stuff, the elder son got his stuff. But he answered his father, Ook. <laughs> I think there might be an Elmerson. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed yours, yet you never even gave me a... Hang on, you never... Who owns the goat? If dad divided his inheritance and he already gave it to him, who owns the goat? He does. The son owns the goat. Well, that's fascinating, isn't it? I've been slaving for you. Well, hang on a minute. It's all yours, mate. Never disobeyed your orders, but you own everything. You never even gave me a young goat. He ain't got a young goat to give him. It's not his. My son, the father, said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. It's the most fascinating part. I'm, I, 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 when I saw that, I was like, that's incredible. He complains that the elder son owned everything that was left and yet lived as though he had nothing. He complained about not being given a goat when he owned the flipping goat. Whose fault was that? Well, it can't have been dad's fault because dad gave him it. He was living in a slave mentality, even though he was master of everything. Dad didn't stop him enjoying everything that was already his. His own attitude and thoughts stopped him, which happens to us all the time. According to the New Testament, all things are yours. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21. All things. And in 2 Peter 1, 3, it says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So just like the elder son, everything is yours. Everything you need to live the best life possible, to live in peace and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control is already yours. Don't feel it though, does it? But according to my Bible, I, I already got it. The problem is, like the elder son, we complain that God didn't give us a goat, forgetting that it's already our goat. I mean, I've never asked him for a goat, but you get the idea. <laughs> we complain, oh God, this is difficult. I, I need some more peace. Well, it's kind of already yours. But we'll get on to that. How we do that in a, in a minute. You see, see the eldest son, he lived, he lived what we might call a boxed-in life. There was a party going on, and he stayed outside. The father effectively says, well, you could have pied. We could have had a great time, but your own thoughts chose you to stay boxed in. We could have, we could have had a go every night or some, but you didn't think to ask me. We could have parted all the time because it were all yours, but you didn't. Ask me, because your own mentality kept you a slave when you were the master the whole time. You know there's parties going on and some of you are staying outside. There's parties of peace and parties of joy and parties of healing and parties of kindness and parties of self-control and they're all going on. But some of us, because of our own minds, are staying outside and then we complain God didn't give us an invite. Except it's already your party. The party's thrown in your honour and the party's for you. We keep ourselves outside the party with our own thoughts. I can't do this. I'll never do that. This can't change. I can't get there. I'll never achieve that. It'll be like this forever. But they're your thoughts and not his. And they cause you to think as a slave when you're really a son of the father. You see, that slave mentality will kill you and it has nothing to do with God, which is why the mentality needs to be killed before the mentality kills you. The slave mentality will kill you and it's got nothing to do with father which is why the mentality needs to be killed before the mentality kills you. 
That's the truth of it. And we all have them in different parts, different areas of our life, things that are not going to happen, things that are not possible, things that are not there. But if you don't kill it, it kills you. The younger son has the same problem. He doesn't know he is either. He knows dad's heart more than the older son for two reasons. Firstly, dad gives him his inheritance when he deserves to be disowned. So that's, first of all, the heart of the father. Secondly, because in verse 17 we read this, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He knows that. He knows that he's generous and abundant and kind. Which master gives slaves more than they need so they have leftovers? That's what dad's like. Dad gives, dad gives the hired servants more than they need. And he's a son, but he doesn't know he's a son. He doesn't realize he's a son. He doesn't realize he's got it. We see it's possible to know dad and know dad's heart, but if you don't know who you are, it can become difficult to stay and you can end up running off. This son knew he had everything, but when he took it, he wasted it all on himself. So one doesn't realise he's got it, the other one does realise, but wasted it all on himself. Now, I want to focus in on this thought that we can be very easily be like the elder son who had it all, but didn't realise it, and then asked for something that was already his. Have we got that picture? You see, it's a bit like this. And it's not like this, but it's a bit like this, okay? When you come to see Jesus as he really is and you come to understand him, you get access to this warehouse full of everything that you need, okay? It's like you get given, as soon as you get to know Jesus, you get given keys to this massive warehouse, okay? But way bigger than this one, okay? And it's got all these things on the shelf and all these things are everything you need internally, okay? So there's a great, you know you go to Ikea and there's those little signs that, Victoria, she knows all about Ikea. So, and there's all, these, there's all these signs that tell you what there is. Well, it's a bit like that, but in the Kingdom Warehouse, there's a, there's a whole section of peace, and there's a whole section of joy, and there's a whole section of freedom, and there's a whole section of self-control, and then there's a section of kindness, and then there's a section of all these things that are available from the healing and uh, restoration and provision. They're all there on the warehouse, which is, which is why it is. you've got access to it all. But listen to me, this is how it works. God, you can't just go sit in that warehouse and wait for God to push one so it lands on your head. Because God ain't going to hurt you by landing a box on your head. Okay, that's what he's like. So we go, so when the Bible says everything's yours, that's what it means. It means you can walk in this warehouse, this is your warehouse. You each have a warehouse this big of everything God's got and it belongs to you. It's all yours, you have the keys and everything. But most people go, sit in the warehouse and then complain they've not got something. That's the slave mentality. They sit cross-legged and start praying and asking Jesus to give them some peace. And Jesus goes, yeah, shelf three, second row. <laughs> but please, Jesus, there's a ladder right there. You see, that's what it means to have everything, but you have to actually grab hold of it. And I'm going to show you how you do that. Because there are some things you can do that will unlock these things that are already yours to become truths and foundations in your life. Everything you need is already yours. But you have to learn how to obtain it and put to use that which is already yours. Does that make sense? So there's, there's lots of examples as well in the, in the Old Testament. You get to Joshua, I think it's Joshua chapter 2, and, and God says, this is the land I've given you, here I'm giving it to you. Well, hang on a minute, is it mine or not? No, what it means is, it's yours. That land came and belongs to you, but now you have to actually take it, as in cross the river, walk through it, clear out all the people who are in there, and then you can enjoy it. 
It's exactly what it's like with you. You have everything that you need, but there are some things in, in a warehouse. It's almost like there's another warehouse in you. And the inside of you, there's another warehouse, and this warehouse has got all the opposite of those things. This warehouse has got shame in it. This warehouse has got rejection in it. This warehouse has got apathy in it. This warehouse has got fear in it. And the process of becoming like Jesus is to empty your warehouse and to fill it with his warehouse. That's a good analogy, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. I've never had that before in my life. I love it. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? But that's really the process. So how do we do that then? Because you know that your warehouse doesn't quite look like that in terms of your own life, there's some things in there that are not the Father's, but then that's what it means to have an exchange. That's what it means to be transformed. I've given away. I had a big whole, whole section of insecurities and fears, and, and now there's some other things in there instead. A whole section of doubts in my own self as a person, as a man, as a leader, as a husband, as a dad. Hebrews 11, verse 8. How do we do this? How do we, how do we swap over this warehouse? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful, who had promised. Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So, let's break that down. First of all, verse 8, Abraham obeyed. That's the first thing. Abraham obeyed. The first thing Abraham did, it went to the promise. And for Abraham, in the Old Testament, it's all about a physical thing. In the New Testament, it's all about an internal thing. So it moves from the external to the internal. So in this, in this example we're talking about, Abraham, he, he moves. So it says, he went out not knowing where he was going. That's called faith. In other words, God said something, but he didn't give him everything he needed. But he gave him enough to move, and on what he had, he moved. That's faith right there. When you don't, you don't know everything, but you've got enough to move. And this obedience was the hallmark of his life. When God required him and his household to be circumcised, he did it. When God asked him to sacrifice his own son, he set off to do it. No wonder Abraham's called the father of faith. So a great question for you to ask yourself is whether you've been obedient to those things God said to you. And you don't go hunting for it. If there's something, it'll be there instantly in the back of your mind. You don't have to go hunting for it because you'll always find something that you're not sure whether you did or not. But if there's something that God said to you repeatedly and you know you've not done it, it'll instantly be there. And if it is, you've just got to go do it. And it'll be much easier than it seems. And it'll be more wonderful than it seems. Verse 9. This is one of my favourite bits. Dwelling with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So he hung around with other heirs of the same promise. He didn't, he didn't go it alone and think he could walk the promise as a one-man band. He had people around him who could remind him, encourage him, ministry. That's really important. You see, one of the ways to access those, those boxes is is by looking around you going, okay, who has already got what I want? Who is it that's got it? Whether it's a skill or whether it's an ability or whether it's an internal trait, there are people who have already got what you want. So it's common sense, isn't it? It just involves a little bit of humility to go and ask. Take them out for a coffee. Take them out for a meal. Buy them a gift. Start praying for them. Start blessing them. Give, don't just take. 
So, so, so if you wanted to know, oh, you know what, I really need to get my admin's terrible at home, I need to learn. Well, go and take Anna out, Margaret out for a coffee and learn then. Stop being so proud and thinking you can do it all by yourself and making a mess of it. Learn. It's not, pro it's not a problem. If you want to learn about standing up for people who can't stand up for themselves, go talk to Phil. It's what he does every day in car. If you want to learn about how to educate people, go talk to Phil. It's what he does. It's not complicated. If you want to learn about making beautiful food, go talk to Paul. It's what he does every day. Okay, if you want to, if you want to talk about music, go talk to Ellie. Or somebody else. If you want to talk about peace, joy, self-control, freedom, find that person who's more on you and go, hey, please help me. That's all I've ever done. It's all I've ever done. Effort, research, finding people. Who is that? When I start the business, okay, I need somebody who already runs a business. Oh, there we go, I've got somebody. Right, now I'm going to pursue them. I'm going to take them out. I remember when we took the people who helped us start Little Days downstairs, we took them to the curry house. And at the time, we were skinned, but I said, I don't care, I'm paying. And they went, no, you can't do that. We own this business, we're doing really well. They turned up in a really nice car at the time. I turned up in my not really nice car. But I went, I don't care, because I'm going to sew into you, because you're going to help me get to where I want to be, so I'm going to sew into you. And they said, it's the first time anybody's paid for dinner for them, because they turn up in the nice car, and everybody thinks they're loaded. But guess what? It opened the door for me. Didn't it open a door for us? An incredible, miraculous door. But you see, that's what you've got to do. And where did I learn that from? I learned it from Paul. Because that's what Paul told me to do. That's how Paul lives. That's how he does. So I'll, I even learned how to access somebody else from somebody else because I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. Even now, there's things I don't know how to do. I go find somebody. I didn't used to, especially in DIY. I can do this. It'd be atrocious. <laughs> and Fayed, very generously and graciously, smile sweetly, <laughs> externally. But now I, now I know what I can do and I can't do. So now I get somebody help me for things I can't do because I've grown up and I'm sensible and I'm actually more of a man than I was before thinking I could do it when I can't do it. Because you're just an idiot when you do that, basically. I'm speaking about myself. But, but you are, right? You're trying to do something you can't do when there's somebody who can do it. It's just stupid, really. So, verse 10, you're all going to like this bit. You weird. You weird. Hebrews 6.12 says we should imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I don't know about you, but there's tons of faith churches. I don't know many patience churches, do you? We're the patient church. But faith and patience inherit the promises. You see, it doesn't all happen instantly. Oh, I've prayed prayer for two weeks, now it's happened. Okay, well, give up then and stay as you are. It's your choice. No, but it's that simple, isn't it, really? I mean, there's, there's no two ways about it, is there, really? You see, sometimes it takes time, and we give up way too easily. It's taken me years to get some of the things that I carry now. Years of attacking things from different angles, in different ways, at different times, sometimes with different people. It's taken me years. Years of constant hard work and perseverance and pushing through to be the man that I am today, and I'm keeping on pushing on because I've still got lots to learn, and I'm still a very poor reflection of Jesus in the heart of the Father. I know that, which is why I keep pressing on. But I know, I know, it's all right. I know I'm a better reflection, but I'm still not a brilliant reflection. But listen, it takes time. And I realize, I realize, we all want to click our fingers. I want to click my fingers. And many people, I talk to them, I want to just pray a prayer and God zap them and it'll be all right. I tell them that. But for whatever reason, it often doesn't work like that. So we have to persevere. But 
They don't make diamonds overnight. But Abram's patience wasn't just waiting around aimlessly. The, the amplified version of the verse says he was waiting expectantly and confidently looking forward. We don't wait passively hoping it might happen. We wait expectantly and confidently that we'll experience in reality everything that God says is ours. And the way we do that, by the way, is saying thank you. I, I ask God for very little these days. I just thank him for it. Because if it's already mine, I don't need to ask him. I can thank him for it. And that puts me in a place of believing it's already going to happen because I'm already thanking you for it. It automatically shifts my... If I'm asking, I'm like, oh. But if I'm going, no, Father, I'm thanking you that this is going to come and pass. I thank you. I believe it's your heart and it's your will. And you've already said it's mine. And I'm thanking you that it's going to come into being in the name of Jesus. Suddenly, something rises up in me when I do that that just don't when I go, please, Father, um, in your will and in your time. Hang on a minute. Salvation's now. And salvation means wholeness. So the time's now. Or if it ain't now, we'll wait and be patient and wait till it is now, but I'm believing it's now. So, verse 13. Do you want to just go there? There we go. So these are keys, okay? First of all, you've got to see it. So whatever it is, you have to see it that you want it. Okay? And remember, I'm not talking about that posh car, although it can work like that as well, but I'm more bothered about your internal life because out of your internal life comes the external anyway. So... So I'm talking about what is it you go, I don't have that and I want it. First of all, you've got to see it. Because a lot of us don't even see it. We just think that's how it is and that's how we are and it's going to stay that way. So you've got to see it first. You've got to go, no, I'm seeing it. I see that thing, this thing in me, it's not quite right and I'm seeing it. And it might feel like it's afar. It might feel like it's miles away. But that doesn't matter because first of all, you've got to see it. And not just can you see it, but can you see it for you? Most people can see it for everybody else. We have this incredible ability to see good things for everybody else, but not for us. I, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know how it works, but it's not our God. So can you see it? And as you choose to see it more and more, and it becomes more and more a possibility in your heart, because you stop saying those things that box you in to a slave mentality like the elder brother. So you have to first of all see it and go, I see that. That's going to be mine. I can have that because Jesus has already given me it. And can you put that warehouse picture back up? Maybe this is helpful for you. I know some people are visual. So, so it might be it's like through that door into another corridor at the far end. It might feel that far off, okay? But hey, see it. Picture it. Visualize it. Put something on your fridge or your phone screen or laptop screen or whatever. Visualize it. See it and go, I'm having it. It's mine. And then once you've seen it, you start to become assured of it because you see it and you start thanking him for it. Even though it's so far off, you thank him for it. Whatever it is, you just keep thanking him and you thank him and you thank him and you thank him and you thank him. And eventually what happens, and then you say sorry for the, the whatever is in your warehouse that you need to get rid of. You say sorry that that's there because you don't want it there. And then you thank him and, and suddenly you start to become, suddenly it's like it's not just a fire. You're like, oh, actually, that might be mine. I can have that. God can give me that. I can receive that. I can operate like that. And as you do it more and more, you become assured of it. And the more assured of it, you start to actually embrace it. In other words, it comes close to you. And then you embrace it. And then you go, yes, it's mine. And then you make sure you keep it. Then you make sure you keep it. But the whole process starts and ends with agreeing with God's warehouse, not what your warehouse. It's almost like you've got two, two inventories. You've got God's warehouse and your warehouse. And you can choose which inventory you're going you're gonna to look at and which inventory you're going to see. But of course, in order to see, you've got to... You've got to hear with, I suppose, hear with faith. But to hear with faith just means to agree with what God says. You're just going to agree with God's warehouse inventory rather than your warehouse inventory. You're going to go, God, this is my warehouse, 
But it doesn't look like your warehouse, and I want my warehouse to look like your warehouse. It's a good talking Yorkshire because they're warehouse. And um, <laughs> the warehouse, if anybody from down south is watching. So, <laughs> what were we on about? Oh, yeah, your warehouse and God's warehouse. And so, this is the thing which, which warehouse are you going to pull from? Which warehouse are you going to empty? Which warehouse are you going to take something from? And then, you know, at, as you obey and endure and you confess and you talk to people you talk to and you pray and you do all that, sometimes it still seems afar off. And listen, you will have ups and downs. I, the, the, the things that I know now, that I know, I, I want constant in it all the time. I had, I had blips. I had times when I thought, flipping heck, why am I bothering? And then I had people around me who went, no, Adam, come on, come on. So I, I, want, I, want, I can't say that every single day for the last ever long, I've, no, I had days when I didn't. Days when I gave up, days when I, but then I got back up again. And that's what's key, that I got back up again. We, we seem to think that when we fall down, that's it. No, what's important is you get back up again. I can't tell you how many times I've fallen down, but I know it's the same amount of times I've got back up again because I refuse to stay down. And that's the key. And we are, you are likely to be assailed by doubts, fear, guilt, apprehension, confusion, good days, bad days. One day you'll feel like, oh, it's mine now. And the next day you'll think, where did it go? You ran off somewhere. Because you'll have a good day, then you'll have a bad day. And a good day, that's okay. That's called learning. It's called growing. It's called growing in this thing. It's okay. It's okay. But you have been given a supremely effective weapon on those days. And it's called the Word of God. In Ephesians 6.14, Paul says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is another thing you've got. You have a sword, all right, and it's like hilted on you in the Spirit. And you've got it, but most people never pick it up. They just carry around with it, clanging around, like clang, 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 clang. Like, but actually, you've got to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and use it. This is, again, why we stay where we are. We'd rather send a text message to ask somebody else to take their sword. But you've got a sword. We'd rather send a what? It's a tough day today. Well, have you taken your sword out yet? Have you actually used the word of God yet for you? Or are we just going to let everybody else do our job for us? And of course, it's a beautiful thing we've got these things, but what do you do first? Where do you first go? What do you first do? I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just saying, have you done it? Have you prayed for you? The word sword appears five times in the book of Revelation in relation to Jesus, and four times it comes out of his mouth. In other words, the sword of the Spirit is when you speak the word of God over yourself, over one another, over situations. It like cuts through lies and the clutter and creates a way for the promises to enter. And just think about Jesus. When Jesus got tempted in Matthew, is it? I think it's Matthew 3. What did he do? He just spoke the word of God and it all changed he said man don't live by the bread alone okay I'm off then just one sentence and I know it's Jesus but the principle works the same the principle works the same listen you have access to a whole warehouse of incredible wonderful things for your internal life that will then cause complete transformation in your external life but too many of us are sat cross-legged in the middle of that warehouse, complaining that we don't have what we need. But you have what you need. You have what you need. Remember, row two, shelf three, it's right there. Okay, how do I get that? Okay, row two, okay, yeah. Father, I want to thank you, Lord. I've got peace. You've given me peace. Right now, I don't feel it, but I want to thank you that it's mine. 
I own it, I claim it, I'm having it. I'm sorry, Lord. It really is that simple. It's not complicated. It just takes effort and perseverance. Which is why we need one another. We encourage, because we all, we'll all fall down. We'll all have bad days. It's all right. We'll stop, we'll start, we'll stop, we'll start. That's fine, but let's get back up again. And let's remember that you are masters of a warehouse, not slaves. Because the moment you said yes to Jesus, it all became yours. Father, I want to thank you for your incredible word and the incredible things that are in it. You were such an incredible teacher, Jesus. But Lord, I want to thank you. And Lord, we are sorry when we have sat cross-legged in that warehouse complaining, Lord, when all around us was everything we needed. I believe that's exactly what it's like, Father, that all around us is everything we need. And we, we're sorry, Lord, we realize we give up easily, we stop, we believe the lies, we believe the untruths. We, we're not very good, Lord, at taking what is already ours. And Lord, we want to say sorry for those times when we've not taken what is already ours, Lord. But Lord, we also ask that you would strengthen our faith, Father, that you would remind us of these truths, Lord, that it's there for us. Lord, we encourage one another, Father. Encourage one another to do it. Encourage one another to take that sword, to take those things off. Whichever analogy works, Father, would you help us, Lord? Because I want to see a people who are transformed by what has already been given us, Lord. And I thank you. I thank you for the incredible transformation that is already amongst us, Lord. I thank you for all the ways that we are changed and, and radically different, Father. But, Lord, I am not content. I want more, Father. I want more and more of us to look more and more like you, to get more and more of these truths on the inside of us that we might just know without a shadow of a doubt that we are Dad's son and we live in Dad's house and Dad is with us and for us and loves us. Thank you, Father. Amen.